Amen. Thank you, Adam. Uh, my name is Mitch. I'm a, a lay pastor here at the at First United Methodist Church, and uh, Pastor Adam and I did the old switcheroo this week, and I get the great opportunity of bringing you the message uh, this morning. So um, we're going to continue our sermon series, though, on bless. Uh, that that we've been we've been following along by a book of the same name by Dave and John Ferguson. The topic of the book is five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. So we've talked about in the first two weeks we talked about the practice of beginning with prayer and listening to fundamental ways to have a positive impact on those around us. And then we've seen um, Jesus's examples of doing these things. So if we're truly going to to bless those around us, we need to act like Jesus. Jesus prayed for people. Jesus listened to people. And another thing Jesus did a lot of was eating with people. Who likes to eat? Of course you do. You love it. You love it. You got any favorite places to eat? Favorite meals? Shout them out. Pizza. Yeah, see, Indian food, there's my boy, right there. Love me some Indian food, you guys know that though. Um, so uh, what about favorite things to cook? You know, you guys got favorite meals to cook as a family? See, we associate these strong memories with food. Did anybody have some life-changing event that happened around a meal? Maybe you got engaged over a fancy dinner. Maybe, maybe you, um, you may add a meal, you, you met that special someone. Maybe there's big family reunions that only happen on an occasion um, once every five or 10 or 15 years or a class reunion that has a meal associated with it. I remember my hometown, uh, my hometown, we have this, uh, we have this thing we, they call wedding potatoes. There's this, there's this guy in town with this cafe and he makes, he makes uh, barbecue and stuff like that. And like half the people that get married there, they have, they cater, have him cater it and his potatoes, they're wedding potatoes. That's what we call them, because that's, that's how you have them, is when you're at weddings. No? Nobody? Do, do, you guys, do you guys, anybody ever have like a meal that you know, is stuck in your memory because it's, it's connected to either, either someone brought you this meal when you lost a loved one, or when you were sick, or when, um, when, when your family was going through hard times, and you were blessed, you were blessed with a meal, and that meal has solidified in your memory to bring you back to that space, that place that time. So there's something about experiencing this meal and experiencing a meal that involves all our senses. And um, anthropologist John Allen uh, wrote a book called The Omnivore's Mind. And he's, he, in the book, he writes, we all have our food memories, some good, some bad. The taste, smell, texture of food can be extraordinarily evocative, bringing back memories not just of eating food itself, but also of place and setting. Food is an effective trigger for deeper memories of feelings and emotions and internal states of mind and body. And I think Jesus, being fully God and fully human, fully was aware of this. As Americans, we love food. We love eating, we love doing things fast, and we love doing things efficiently. We eat everything and we're the best at it. Jesus might argue we're a little too good and end up missing out on the experiential side of that shared meal. A quick Google search confirmed my theory that we can consume more calories in a shorter amount of time than anybody else. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released their annual report 
And uh, on average, we spend, each us, average, uh, one hour, eight minutes a day consuming food and drink. And then on the weekends and holidays, it doesn't go up to much more, but an hour and 17 minutes. So I continued Googling. I Googled the average consumed calories um, by, by Americans, 3,600. You can put that slide away for a minute. 3,600, that is far more than is on the back of the cereal box that tells you your daily allowed by just telling, letting you know. Um, we, we, we surpass, right? We go above and beyond, 3,600, and then some quick average math worth with our time that we spend eating it, boom, 50 calories a minute, you guys. Good work. Good work. So then I found this chart. It has a little different, I Googled this too. It's got a little different averages from this study, but we have the best time. One hour, I think that's winning, right? I don't know why we're at the bottom of the list. It should be flipped. But... But um, it may not be true that the best time in, in consuming food is winning. Maybe having a meal together is a little more about consuming calories quickly, and we're missing out on intimate time of connecting and forming those strong bonds. Jesus knew the power of eating together. And so, who you eat, and so do the first century Jews, and they understood that who you ate with said something about who you put yourself on the same level with, who you were on the same plane as. It was an equalizer. If you ate with a somebody, you were a somebody. And if you ate with sinners, guess what assumptions were made? So if you ate with the unclean or the sinners, they perceived you in that way. So today, we're going to look at one of the many dining experiences of Jesus that we find in the New Testament and see if we can find encouragement to model our own behaviors after the one we follow. So anyway, I once heard a pastor, a preacher say this, if you can read the Gospels without getting hungry, you're probably missing something. (laughs) So is it that good of a quote or did you just like the person I quoted? I hope to be some preacher someday. Okay, someday. You will be. You will be. I just can't quote you as some preacher in this context. So, so some preacher quoted that. So in, there's a lot of eating that happens in the New Testament. There's praying, there's listening, but there's also a lot of eating. And paper was kind of short back then, so it's important to note that eating, eating was important enough to note. So um, let's turn to our Bibles, go to the Gospel of Matthew, where, where we find the firsthand account um, of Matthew, the author, Uh, being called to follow Jesus. So Matthew 9, we're going to do verse 9 through 13 today, and we're going to start right out with verse, verse 9 opens like this. As Jesus went on from there, where's he coming from? Where's he going? Glad you asked. So to, to start off, um, we're going to give you a little short history of what's happening, what Matthew's telling us is happening right now, because Jesus is headed out. Um, he's, he's starting his ministry, and he has been, he's been um, starting his ministry around the Sea of Galilee region. I got you a map um, of the Sea of Galilee area, and this is where, this is where the bulk of Jesus' ministry, this is where it all took place, is around this lake, this sea area. And Jesus um, grew up down here in Nazareth. You see Nazareth there. That was where he spent his boyhood, his childhood, and then, and then he got baptized, 
and he went out into the desert, which, which is a story about him not eating, coincidentally, so we're not going to talk about that today, and got tempted in the desert, and then, and then he began, he went, um, went to the Sea of Galilee area to begin his, begin his ministry, to begin, to begin preaching. Um, so, so uh, and he, he was preaching this, repent, and the kingdom of heaven has come near. So anyway, I got a second map. I took, and this, does anybody recognize this map? Yeah? Yeah, this is home. This is us right here. This is, and then, this is Google Earth. So then, I got to explain to what I did. Um, I took Google Earth, and I got the camera at the same distance, the same height of the two different places, and then, boom, give him the third one. Dropped it on top, and faded out the desert, and then, boom, we have the Sea of Galilee. Give you a little perspective of what what size and what, you know, Jesus grew up south the airport over here. <laughs> and, and, and then made this journey over, over to the Sea of Galilee region and area. So, so now that he's been baptized, he's been in the desert, and now he's over in this lake area and he's begin, began his preaching around there. And Matthew, this is just a little earlier than our scripture today, Matthew is going to tell us about um, going out and adding some local fishermen to his ranks. So Matthew 4, verse 23 to 25, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decropolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So that's what's been happening. That's what's going on. He's been traveling around this area by foot and by boat. Complete side note. Has nothing to do with the message here this morning, but I found this really cool. And, and just this indicator of God wants you part of his story. He's made a place for you in the story, a place for you to participate because Jesus came into this world, into the, you know, miles away from where his ministry happened, over there south the airport, as in a carpenter's family, you know, building houses and stuff. And then his ministry happens at this lake that's, that's 12 miles up and down, eight miles across and he goes and gets him some fishermen who got some boats. First friends he recruits. You guys got a boat. I need some help. You guys come follow me. Let's do this thing together. And I don't know, maybe, maybe things haven't changed a lot in the last 2,000 years. Maybe you got a boat. God's asking you to use it to build some relationships. I don't know. Might have been a stretch. But I thought that was pretty cool, right? He wasn't, he wasn't like a boat guy. He needed boat guys. Anyway, so Jesus' friends with boats are helping him do some cool things. They're going around. They're giving, he's giving sermons. They're healing people, um, driving out demons all around this lake area while he is living in the city of Capernaum. So throw that map back up there, my, my special map. city of Capernaum is ironically really close to where Paradise would be. Can't make that up. That's just where it landed. Paradise, Capernaum, kind of the same area. So verse 9 as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew knows. He's writing about it. He knows all these amazing things that have been happening, the healings, the sermons. The whole area is a buzz about Jesus. I'd venture to say Jesus was trending. 
You know, maybe he was all over the Keep and Capernaum informed Facebook page. He was preaching to crowds in excess of 5,000 people. That is twice Carney's high school football stadium. So if you think somebody gathers twice the occupancy of the stadium, fills it up, and talks to him in Carney, you're going to hear about it in Trimble. Like, it's, this news is, is nearby. It's close at hand. So Matthew knows all about what Jesus has been doing, and then Matthew gets picked in the most upside-down, wonky, gym class kickball selection ever recorded. He's like, you, follow me. And Matthew is shocked, and everyone else is shocked too. Matthew is a tax collector, and you may have heard that in the first century, tax collectors made a lot of money by charging you taxes and then some extra. That's how they got paid. It didn't take too long or too dishonest of tax collecting skills to really get wealthy collecting taxes. Then if you think about it, in this picture where we had that map and we're collecting taxes for Rome in this area of the Sea of Galilee and we're in Capernaum and we're right on the shore of this major commerce of the whole region is fishing, do you think maybe Matthew's primary source of income was taxing fishermen the same guys who were standing right there with Jesus, when Je- you know, because they, Jesus picked them, changed their life. Pick, pick them, follow me, I'm getting on your boat, we're going to go do some amazing stuff. Their whole life got changed. It was amazing. And then just a short while later, they're with him, and Jesus says, Matthew, you, you, come follow me. And it had to have been like a big gut check, too, for the, you know, those, the fishermen, the, like Peter, Andrew, James and John, Zeb's kids. They're like, him. Yeah, him. It was mind-blowing. I could just imagine being a mind-blowing experience for all involved, right? Not just Matthew, but everybody who's watching, and especially those first Disciples that got the gut check of, yeah, everyone's invited. So they have this mind-blowing event, right? And then guess what they did? Let's eat. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. They went to eat. See, Jesus used Matthew's occupation and lifestyle to, to make Jesus himself available to everyone, accessible to everyone. All these people who have heard about Jesus and all the amazing things and how he forgives sins and teaches not to judge others and offers healing to all, it just got real because they see him eating with Matthew. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine seeing Jesus setting down to dinner with someone that culture puts at your level or below you? Now Jesus has put himself on your level. And not just that, this was in Capernaum. This, was in, this is in your neighborhood. This was in your town. This was his town he was in. This wasn't some stop on a journey. Jesus was, he was, he was at home. 
Tomorrow, everyone was going to be talking about it. Everyone's going to know about last night's party at Matthew's house. This is small town stuff. Probably the top topic is going to be the diversity of it all. The, how it's diverse, the occupational diversity of it, the religious diversity of it, the economic diversity of it. What a crazy mix of people they're going to be saying the next day. So in verse 11, the Pharisees, you know, introduced the bad guy in the story, right? When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So in saying that, in questioning, in questioning that right there, it very obviously says, we know what makes you a sinner or not, because we're not, you are. So that's what they're saying. That's what they're communicating is we know because we got the rule book, we got the playbook, and the playbook says if we do these things, we will be closer to God. We will be righteous with God. We'll be right with God. And this system's kind of rigged, um, kind of rigged in a way that only this, only this religious elite um, see themselves as sin-free, therefore um, would, would never be caught you know, eating with sinners, the ones they deem um, to be unclean. So these Pharisees, they, they claim to adhere, they adhere to these laws of Moses as well as these traditions of the elders, right? Like they're not, these are just traditions, but they're adhering to them. And they've created this set of rules that they've established themselves righteous and right with God. And all those that don't um, comply with that are sinners. So then Jesus responds on hearing this. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is pointing out this fundamental truth about people and change and human will. And we got to recognize where we are before we can ever go forward. You got to know where you are before you can figure out where you're going. And Jesus knows that everyone falls short of the glory of God. No rules to follow get you closer to God. We all fall short. And those of us that see that and recognize that in ourselves, we've had this opportunity to have a seat at that table with Jesus. Those proclaiming righteousness with God, righteousness with God through obedience to these religious rules were kept out of the party, not by Jesus, but by their own pride. While those with no status to lose, only up to move, only closer to God to get, they took a chance and found themselves in relationship with Jesus. Not just acquaintances, but dinner guests. So they were truly blessed by Jesus through the experience of sharing this meal together. And it doesn't say in the scripture either that Jesus was teaching or preaching at Matthew's house. He went and picked Matthew. Matthew decided to follow him. Everybody's like, whoa, we're going to Matthew's house. Okay, here we go. And then they went there and they had a meal. It merely says, while Jesus was having dinner. That's all he did. And for the undeserving, which is everyone, Jesus, in this simple act, 
expressed and communicated love and compassion and kindness and acceptance for these people who weren't perceived as on his level. The simple act of having dinner. So, in the spirit of our blessed book, um, I'm going to come at you with a challenge. Right? And this is a challenge I hope you can do. I hope nobody's, you know, um, on like a not eating for a week challenge because that might make it hard. But I want, here's my challenge. I want you to have a challenge this week to have one meal with Jesus. One meal with Jesus. Set aside a meal, a cup of coffee, um, you know, a tea, uh, a Pop-Tart, and, and you're going to have it with Jesus. Get yourself, get yourself alone or in a space where you can be alone and allow yourself to feel the peace of having that unearned seat at the table of the Master of Mercy. Invite him into the space, into your place, spend a moment listening like we've talked about, maybe listening for guidance and opportunities, listen for opportunities to bless someone around you. Maybe you can open your heart up to hear God's calling for you to focus, to focus in prayer or, or to focus listening where what relationships you can pour into. And kids, you can do this too, you know? Like, you need to get a little space from your brother, like get the Pop-Tart and be like, no, I'm having this Pop-Tart with Jesus. And you can just take it out on the porch, shut the door behind you. You can have that opportunity to, to commune with the Master of Mercy. And then the second part of my challenge, I want you to do that part first. You know, try to get that one down first. It may take you a couple weeks, but try to get that one in the bag. Um, because my second part of that challenge is to set aside one meal or beverage or drink or coffee or, or a lunch or a breakfast and spend in growing in relationship with someone new. Someone that God has placed on your heart. You'll know who they are. I guarantee you'll know who they are. Or maybe it's a relationship that you need, that you just know that... Um, this person, this person can pour into you and, and that relationship just needs to, just needs to have a meal to, to create that opportunity for growth and development and connection, that next step in relationship. Or maybe it's someone that you think, you know, God's placing on your heart that really, really could, could benefit from a meal with, a meal with you and that opportunity of you putting yourself in a level to eat and dine with them. So, so listen and make that next step and to be like Je Jesus and have dinner with someone. Just be present. You don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to know what to say, but I bet you'll learn, I bet you'll learn something new. And in, in the most ironic statement ever said by somebody holding a microphone who's been talking for 20 minutes is, I've never learned anything by talking. So you can just listen. You can just listen. And, you want to, and if you don't want to do that alone, you a real easy opportunity. Tomorrow night, Monday night football, Nikki's Pizza, a little plug for Pastor Adam here. He'll be down there eating with people doing this right there. Grab a friend, bring them down. Just have a meal. Have, you won't even have to say anything there. They'll be just cheering so loud. It'll be great. If you don't want to invite people into your home, Invite yourself into theirs. Jesus did. <laughs> I mean, try it out. See what happens. It's happened once to me and it worked. 
Somebody was like, hey, when are we coming to your house for dinner? And I was like, Friday? <laughs> it worked. Try it out. If it's a financial strain, I understand. If Dave Ramsey says, no, you cannot go out to eat. You can't do it. I've been there. I've had envelopes too. I fully respect and appreciate it. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do is do it anyway. Save your receipt. Bring it to me. Shoot a copy of it. Shoot me an email. We will reimburse you. I know there are, this church is full of faithful people that, that lovingly give and would love the opportunity to help you bless someone with a meal and be a part of that, of that experience. And we'll reimburse you um, for that. This congregation is full of members. We'll be happy to help, help those relationships grow in this community across, across a meal, across a dinner table. So, so those are my two challenges for you, for you this week and going forward to, to act like Jesus. To, and by acting like Jesus, we can take this everyday activity of eating that I know you all love to do and use it to love our neighbors and change the world. Amen?